Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 7, Episode 22, There Will Be Blood. Let's get this show on the road. This was a wild episode. <laughs> yes, I think that's definitely the way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, I I think like writing about this episode made me realize just like how busy it was, like how many threads are going on at once. It's a very plot heavy episode. Like, there's so much happening. We're finding out so much. Like, we're getting a lot of like info. This is an info dump episode uh in so many ways so we're going to talk about that a lot more in critical time but like there were a lot of choices that were made earlier in the season that means that now like we need to cram a lot of information into these last two episodes and here we are cramming information in this episode (laughs) i feel like we've criticized the show for doing something similar in past seasons i think they've gotten better at it like it's the kind of thing where it's like I've made the comparison. It's like when, like, I know myself, I'm not the best student. I, like, cram things and do it at the last second, but I get a good grade. It's like, you shouldn't keep doing this to yourself. It's bad for you, but you're getting better at doing the bad thing. The more I thought about it, the more I'm like, this episode, like, in terms of, like, internal struggle, like, there really isn't that much, you know? Like, inter- it's a lot of, like, external plot that happens, I find. There's so many things like I almost like wish they had spread it out, but I feel like any one of those things, if it got too much spotlight, would be like, okay, this episode's kind of boring. Like, had we just done an episode about going out for the alpha and nothing else, could have been, it could still be good, but like, there'd be room for more. But any of the other things like Crowley and Leviathans or uh, just the poison in general, like each of those things I don't think would have stood on their own as an episode. They needed to be B-plots. But this episode just had, like, four B-plots. I don't know. I think that it would have been cool to actually, like, look at those things properly and then add more detail instead of, like, making it all happen in one 24 hours, you know? Are you ready to give us a recap for this episode? Count me down. Three, two, one. Quick wag! We- <laughs> no one's gonna get that! We-, <laughs> we have the brothers now officially living in a world where Dick's poison is working, so people are acting slow and sluggish. They are trying to figure out how to build this weapon they need to build. And while they have the angel blood, which apparently Crowley doesn't know they have, because Crowley doesn't know that Cass is back, there's a whole other bucket of worms we have no time for, because there's too many things to talk about. We finally figure Sam puts together the likely cause of the other two bloods we need are going to be Crowley and Alpha. Uh, They try to get Crowley. Crowley's like, sure, but only last, because I want to be safe, which is, I guess, kind of smart from him. I actually got to give him kudos for this. And also siding with the good guys, which is good, which what they hope the alphas will do when they go after the alpha and decide at the last second, hey, even though we have a way of fighting him, let's just ask and try to negotiate and be nice. And that actually kind of works, but only after the Leviathans reveal that they were going to backstab him the whole time. Because even though they were in on the plan, they were being betrayed. And I think that covers everything. Uh, they get the alpha blood. They now just need the bone and Crowley's blood, which they've been promised, but I don't know where they're going to get bone from. Um, and then surprise ending... Uh, the Leviathans are all like, hey, Crowley, we want to be your friends again. Get over here. Oops, trap. Let's talk. Time. I'm not even going to lie. I watched this episode and I took the 
first, I took like the long game notes and I added Crowley in there. But then when I took like my story time notes, I completely forgot that he was in this episode. So that goes to show like how many things happen that I still found enough to talk about to fill an episode without talking about Crowley for a single second. Yeah, I, I think I bring him up like once at the very end because I had like one comment to make. But like the big one really is the fact that he doesn't know that Cass is back, despite the fact that other demons have seemed to figure it out clearly. Like, it seems interesting it hasn't gotten back to him yet. Like, what does that say about his 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 control? In part because Meg, like, killed the, the demons who found out, right? This episode was written by Andrew Dabb and Daniel Laughlin, directed by Guy B, and it originally aired on May 11th, 2012. There are so many characters in this episode like we said uh we've got bobby we've got kevin we've got dick we've got crowley and we've got the alpha vampire am i just realizing my recap i just totally forgot bobby <laughs> yeah but there see this is what i'm saying like there are so many storylines in this episode that like it would have been nice to maybe break them up a little bit just just a little bit so we realize that Dick's plan to like sedate the humans through food is working and he just like kicked it up a notch by buying up Sucrocor. So everything that has added sugar in it has the properties of like the gray ooze from the TDK slammer. So that means basically that everything except like water, fruit and veggies uh, and meat maybe, but apparently like the meat is also bad because Dick owns that too. So anyway, the brothers are now basically vegan and Dean is not on board. Yeah, uh, I even love the, like, like, like I almost want to say a jab, like, it's a really, like, interesting line they throw in of, like, Dean picking something up going, like, it's all natural, it's safe, right? And then Sam having to explain, like, you know, those labels is not what they mean, you have to really know your food. Uh, and it just, it paints a really fun picture, a little bit of, like, Sam's knowledge and, like, understanding of food sciences versus Dean's. Like, where Dean's the kind of person who sees, like, oh, no trans fats, I can eat a thousand of these. and like. It's a Twinkie. <laughs> I love when people like get really excited and they're like, did you know that bacon is gluten-free? I'm like, no shit, it's gluten-free. There's no wheat in it. You know, like it's it's just like, I think we're definitely seeing like a lot of Sam's knowledge about food that just Dean just is not interested in, you know? Yeah, well, I don't think he's ever, not that he's never had to worry about it in the sense that he never like, really worried about what he ate he ate kind of what he liked and when he needed to uh and i think that kind of comes from what we've talked about him in the past kind of a survivor like style that he's had to him where he's never really had the luxury of choosing what he gets to eat and is sort of used to just sort of getting what he can get dean's biggest worry about food is more like the costs is this something that i can afford yes does it taste good? Yes. Therefore, I will eat it. And I think that those are like his two main concerns. Is it affordable for me? And is it pleasurable to eat? We find out that Vampire's Nest uh, sometimes keep children or a child to uh, with them to be able to drink their blood when they need to. Uh, and then they, of course, go into the details of why uh, they chose these children. It's because virgin blood tastes better, apparently. Uh, which I think opens up an entire universe of, like, how, why, I don't understand, I don't want to understand. 
No, I really don't. And that's fine. Again, let's move on. Uh, It also turns out that when humans have been eating the dick poison in the food, uh, they become poison for vampires too. So any human that's eaten like anything with added sugar in it can now kill a vampire with their blood. The Leviathans even admit uh, that it also affects werewolves and anything else that eats humans like ghouls, which he couldn't remember the name of. And I also want to point out, his name is Edgar. I'm pretty sure you called him Oscar last time. I did call him Oscar last time. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I made a comment. If I can't remember his name, you're like, it's Oscar. And then this week, it's Edgar. So, so, I think this proves my point. (laughs) I think this proves my point. So, anyone anyone who listened to the last episode and was, like, corrected us since, my bad, our bad for not catching it. But I think it proves my point about how little I know his name. Uh, this is the first time that the brothers give out, like, Jody Mills's number to a wayward girl. Does this become a thing? Does it? I would kind of love that if it does. That would be lovely. Hopefully the next one isn't a vampire spy, essentially? Hopefully the next one is not a vampire spy, indeed. Bobby's aggression escalated from a breaking a mirror all the way to like possessing an innocent housekeeper to go dark side on Dick. I will save my thoughts on this particular action and Bobby in general for story time, but um, very, very valid. Uh, we find out that the Leviathan had a deal with the vampires that they would split humanity in half to eat, basically, uh, but that the Leviathan were two-timing the vampires and knew that what they were feeding the humans was going to make the vampires sick and die. I'm so sorry, but these sentences are so ridiculous to read that sometimes I'm like, am I reading this right? (laughs) Like, checks notes. Like, yes, yes. Um, And one of their goals is to kill all other monsters. The Alpha seems to have this notion of like, these, like, I am not human, I am not Leviathan, but I need to side with one of them. And clearly the fellow monster who was born from the same mother, like, we're going to connect more. And then they're like, no, we're better than you. We're going to exterminate your race because you're terrible, just like humans. The Alpha Vamp says, see you next season, which I guess we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of love that. Like that really kind of wink to the camera. Like, and, and the Alpha Vamp is like the character where it's like, I, of all the characters who could make that joke, I think it's best from him. I think that the Alpha Vampire is, is truly so camp like they could have really leaned into that they chose not to but like that is the campiest thing i have ever seen and i honestly i love it i love love it i feel like when you ride the line like that too closely you kind of like ruin it you need to gonna go one way or the other and if you try to go too central it's like you kind of miss everything but with him it kind of works because it gives him the air of being like still menacing and serious but with this, like, this camp-like essence. Yes, I mean, look at the nails. Like, look at, like, the, the cups that he drinks out of. Like, oh my god, I love this man so much. If he becomes a major player in the next season, as he's suggesting here, uh, even if it is a villain, I'll be very happy. Especially if it's a villain. Love him. Oh, I mean, if they can find a way to make him, like, weirdly, like, the good guy for a season. Like, I don't know how you do that, but, like... I would take them having to work with him for a bit. That'd be funny as all hell. Well, they do have to work with him now, so.
This week, our theme is treachery. And before we get to the etymology of it, I have to say that when I presented Rochelle with like a few options for today's theme, she's the one who chose treachery. And when she told me, I was like, ooh, okay, that's good. And she was like, wait, 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 were you hoping for another one? And I'm like, no, 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 it's just a really good, strong word, like good choice, like very Taylor Swift. So anyway, treachery comes from an old French word, which means deceit, cheating, trickery, and lies. And I feel like in this episode, we're uncovering a lot of that, but also maybe setting some stuff up for the future. This episode kind of has that vibe of like, we're just setting up pins for you to knock down in the finale or reminding you of the pins that have been previously set up. So a lot of treachery to come, but a lot of treachery today. We're looking through like Chekhov's armory at this point, like is, is what's going on. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, this is Chekhov's collection. Yeah, absolutely. So this is definitely one of those episodes where like Sam and Dean's relationship with the theme is very, very similar. So maybe we can talk about them together. They're both like witnessing the full scale of the treachery of the Leviathan. And so are we as a viewer, right? Like both through them and through, I wrote Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) And through Edgar in that one scene where he mentions like the line might start to panic when they see the blades like oh it's just so oh I don't know like we're just seeing this plan to trick the human race or at the very least like the American people like it's not quite clear to me how like they plan on handling the rest of the world I'm yeah they're basically like planning like for for the humans to like willingly walk into slaughterhouses to like feed the leviathan Yeah, it really seems like the two of them are faced with, like, the treachery of everything. We have a moment later where they actively choose not to be treacherous, which is kind of interesting, too. Like, they get to kind of, like, after seeing all the treachery, make the choice to they themselves not take the treacherous path. They, and by extension us, the viewer, just get to see how vile this plan is and its effects on people. Like, getting to kind of see it, like, in the world around them and not just be, like... It's a very good show, not tell, which is nice. They're also like seeing that there was treachery going on with the vampires. Like the vampires were aware of this plan the whole time. And like they negotiated with Dick to get like half the human population for their own consumption. To make a really specific reference to our flag means death. When they're like scamming all the rich people and selling them like the secrets and it's like yeah you get 10% of this and everyone's getting 10% and suddenly that doesn't add up anymore oh Frenchie love of my life I'm sure werewolves were also told you get half the humans and then the (laughs) ghouls are you get half the humans and suddenly they're all like wait a minute (laughs) the only thing I don't like about this is that it equates dick with Frenchie and I (laughs) resent this implication True. I'm sorry. Frenchie is the goodest boy. He could never do anything wrong. Absolutely. He is the goodest boy. He can steal from rich people all day. His plan was to steal from the rich who were horrible. This was bad people doing bad things to less bad, but still bad people. Absolutely. They got away from me. After that, they also figure out in real time that the Leviathan were also tricking the vampires. Like, because like we said earlier, they know that the poison that they were feeding the humans would also poison the vampires and the werewolves and the ghouls and anything that feeds on humans. Yeah, this is like extremely the enemy of my enemy is my friend energy here. Like the vampires chose to side in this case, the slightly more obvious side to go with, like I said before, which is Leviathans. But we see that like even like the biggest bads can be two-timed. 
And then we get what I think is very subtle and interestingly tidbit is that like we basically get the scenario of like the Leviathans represented by Edgar and humanity represented by Sam and Dean going to see the Alpha. And one goes in with the treacherous, hey, we're two timing you and now we're going to kill you versus Sam and Dean, who Wally initially went in with the OK guns a blazing. Sam convinces him like, no, let's like they're clearly in trouble as well. They also have reason to be anti-Leviathan. Let's go in there and, you know, communicate with them and look for a truce. Which I just think is, it's so beautiful in an episode where everything is like treacherous and evil and duplicitous that they decide to go, no, honesty is the best policy today. (laughs) I think they also thought that like, listen, no monster would like think that we're joking. You know what I mean? Like if we go in guns a-blazing or machetes a-blazing the way that Sam says it, which I think was like truly peak Sam. I loved it. (laughs) Great line. As a vampire, I would not be particularly open to listening to what they had to say after. But if they just go in and say, hey, we need to talk, and it works, right? Because the alpha has that same reaction where he's like, well, let's just put them in the study for now and we'll see what happens when Edgar (laughs) comes to talk to me. Which really led me to believe that the Alpha thought, like, he was basically setting up the, like, backup plan of, like, what if I need them? And, like, I think that goes both ways of either, like, I want them as, like, a bargaining chip for the Leviathans, or if it turns out I gotta deal with the Leviathans and I need Sam and Dean as my partner suddenly, I haven't just thrown them out with the bathwater. Well, there you go. And I think that he says that very, very clearly at the beginning, like when he when they come in, he's like, you don't get to live this long without having a good plan or anything. Like, I can't remember the exact line, but he's like, listen, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for a really long time. Like, you have nothing to teach me kind of thing. Now, on a smaller scale, of course, the brothers are flat out tricked by Emily, like the young human girl who lives in the vampire nest, which like, I do want to be very careful in assigning blame here because like this girl is very clearly a victim in her own right. And if she were to be returned into like a human society, she would need a lot of therapy and deprogramming. Emily was like a star this week. I genuinely like adored her as a character. Also her pink room, those paintings of like unicorns and teddy bears. I want those. But I like legit genuinely was not expecting the reveal of her like treachery. Like looking back, the rare time the show has actually surprised me was that she was going to like betray them. I love it. And it sort of forces the brothers' hands and puts them in a weird situation where it's revealed that she played them. And, you know, it's true. I hold no resentment towards her as a character. She's not just a human who likes vampires. She's truly been like forced and like essentially groomed to think this way. And like, we don't know what happened behind those scenes, what it looks like. So I'm not blaming anybody, but like ultimately great character, well done. And like a a fun reveal. Like it seems like she actually enjoyed tricking them, which is kind of cute. Tricking somebody also means like remaining loyal to something else, right? Like it can either be yourself. It can be like something, a cause. It can be another person. And in this case, like by tricking them, she stayed loyal to the alpha vampire, right? And I think that like, it's kind of, and and like and if you want to think about different situations this episode the leviathan by tricking the vampires stay uh loyal to themselves and so it's kind of interesting to see like where where those alliances truly lie like what are the alliances that truly matter in this episode that's an interesting way to look at it i like that thank you 
I do want to talk about them leaving the flask in the motel room safe because like, as we'll talk about later, Bobby definitely feels betrayed by it. But like, are Sam and Dean being treacherous? Like, are they tricking Bobby? Are they, be, are they being deceitful? Because I, I, I'm not sure and I wanted to know what you thought about it. So I'm torn on this one because I feel like we can look at it from the like weirdness of the angle, which is like the, they probably just could have convinced him to stay to watch Emily rather than basically locking him up. And I think the difference here is the brothers aren't doing this with a malicious intent. They're worried and they're not sure how to handle this. And they're kind of preoccupied despite all the experience with ghosts. The idea of having one as kind of like a buddy is something very new and truly like like uncertain for them. So while I don't think treachery is a term I would use to describe the way they treated Bobby, I understand Bobby's feeling of betrayal in this case. But I think it's all predicated on the fact that like there was clearly a better way to go about it and it seems weird they didn't and I'm chalking it up to you know, choosing to let it go because they're so preoccupied they didn't have time versus them not thinking about it or something or like a writing plot hole. I think they were worried about asking Bobby or telling Bobby to stay. I think that like given the his aggression levels that have been like steadily rising, I think they were concerned that he would just flat out say no. True. That is very possible. And so like, and so then what do you do? Do you just do it anyway or do you not? And that way, like it was a way to kind of bypass that conversation. You ask and if he says no, you do it anyways, but I think that makes it even worse. I think so. For some reason, I don't know what it is. I, I don't like either option, frankly, but like. You're giving someone a choice when you know there is no, like the choice, no matter what they make, you're going to get the outcome you want. It's like an illusion of choice. It's like when I give my child two options that I have pre-chosen, you know, like I'm like, you can have blueberry pancakes or chocolate chip pancakes. Oh, but I want French toast. Mm, I'm sorry. That's not an option. You can have blueberry pancakes or chocolate chip pancakes. Video games do this a lot where they'll like give your character a choice and like no matter what choice you make, the outcome will be the same. It might just flavor the conversation differently, but like at the end of the day, you're going to go into that dungeon and fight that boss. It's just a matter of whether you chose to do it or you said no and you were forced by some other meaning. Bobby was going to get left in the room no matter what. It was just a matter of whether he was given the choice to say, yes, I would like to stay here and protect Emily because I'm a good person or no, I'm angry spirit, Bobby. And then being like, whoa. So the way that we were talking earlier about treachery and how that means remaining loyal to something else, like who are they remaining loyal to or what are they remaining loyal to by leaving the flask in there? Then is my question, is it Bobby or is it like themselves? I hate this question. <laughs> I, I'm going to argue it's, it's um, staying loyal to Bobby's memory because if Bobby were to see himself in the same scenario, he would do the same thing and lock himself up. And they know that because they know Bobby is a smart man and this version of Bobby is tainted in some way. Oh my God, flawless 10 out of 10. Absolutely. I completely agree. Thank you. Absolutely. And I do, so I have another question then. <laughs> Shoot. Are they being treacherous by accepting the blood from the alpha vampire while still planning to kill him one day if they can? And it kind of like, goes back also to what they're doing with Crowley because like I said I completely forgot he was in this episode but they do a similar thing with Crowley where like they're like he doesn't know that Cass is back and they hide it from him right so in this case like 
I think they're tricking Crowley because they're remaining loyal to Cass to make sure that like they're not telling people that he's around and vulnerable. But in this case, like, is it, do we consider it treachery or trickery to do what they do with the alpha vampire? Again, another question that I'm like not sure on how I want to answer it. So I'm just going to kind of let my brain spit out words and see how I feel and hope I land on an answer this time. (laughs) But my initial thought is no. Like it's a temporary truce to deal with something bigger than either of them. And the rivalry between them can resume later. And I feel like if the tables were turned, it would be just as ethical. If there was something, like, I can't imagine a scenario where the vampires... I, I, we've seen it before where, like, monsters have, like, turned to Sam and Dean saying, like, we need your help. Even though we're the bad guys, we need you to answer something. I can kind of see it, like, in a similar vein of, like, yes, there's a bigger evil we need to deal with. And to deal with it, we have to work with you, which might seem like it's betraying our true nature but it's for a greater good that we can see in the short term and then things can go back to. So no, it's not treacherous. It's a temporary truce. And once things are dealt with, they can reevaluate their relationship, which is likely going to stay the same and go back to, well, I guess we have to kill each other now. Being honest about it, right? Because the alpha is like, well, you're just thinking about how if you could, you would kill me right now. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. And so I feel like right there, by not hiding their intentions right away. It's not so much a trick as it is, like you said, like putting aside differences, but it made me think of like the episode that we did about coalition, which was actually in uh, season five, episode 21, two minutes to midnight, where like a bunch of people with very different competing interests, like come together to work towards a common goal. And I feel like that's really what's going on in, in, in this part of the episode, both with Crowley and with the Alpha, although with Crowley it is a bit different because they do hide things from him. They hide things from him. Like, while they have a tenuous friendship, seems like a weird word to use, but a tenuous, amicable relationship for the time being, they still know not to fully trust him, so they're going to put the needs of the people closest to them at the forefront. So yes, they're lying to Crowley, and that is treachery in a sense. But I want to go back to the line that you give, uh, that you repeated from the Alpha, where he says, like, you're just upset you can't kill me right now. And I 100% think if they were to then repeat it to the Alpha, he'd go, yo, you're 100% right. Like, if I could kill you right now, I would. But I know that killing you means Leviathan issues, which means my people die. Whereas for them, it's almost like we're not going to kill you out of respect because you're helping us right now. If they turn around and kill the Alpha right there on the spot, their plan continues without any changes. It's almost more honorable that they're letting him live in like exchange for his help, which just seems like good on them for being honorable. I appreciate that. So the one thing I'll say in how the boys defer this week is that they really like have different reactions to two things. The first is like finding out that they have to eat exclusively fruits and veggies. Like Sam is obviously not bothered by this at all, given his personal food preferences, right? But Dean is not happy about it. And I think, again, like in a season where all of his little comforts have been taken away, like he doesn't have access to hot water. He doesn't have access to his car. Food is the only thing that he has left, really. And to lose that, too, is just like one step too far for him. I'm not even going into the big losses that he's gone through with Bobby earlier with Cass, although he got Cass back, doesn't negate all the suffering that he did during that time. You know, that speaks really to those times when like, 
your life feels like it's falling apart. And the thing that sends you over the edge is like the fact that they ran out of your favorite pastry at your local coffee shop. You know, it's such a small thing. And yet it's the one thing that makes you cry in public. <laughs> like, not at all from personal experience, friends. <laughs> I've cried in a grocery store too. We've all been there. I think it's a human thing. I've cried in every possible <laughs> version of a place where they serve food, Drew. Like, it's fine. Someone has gone through so much and is like held together. And then finally this one incredibly small inconvenience occurs. And it just like, that's the thing that breaks them all of a sudden. And you suddenly see the stress of like thousands of hours and days and instances come out. <laughs> This is a huge issue for Dean. Like, I truly feel bad for Dean in this one. And like, yes, it's played for laughs, but like, you're right. It almost feels like the last thing he had to like have comfort in is being taken from him. I just need to share here. There's like a little fanfic gap thing in my head right here, which is like, Sam is loving this because he gets to show Dean all the things he eats and like try to make him like good food. And then Dean is secretly like Googling how to bake and is becoming a baker so he can make his own damn pies. But I mean, he wouldn't be able to do that because he would have to add sugar. <laughs> I sort of see him like like looking up recipes and trying to figure out ways of like trying like I can make this edible and good if I just learn. <laughs> he could use honey if he wanted to, if Dick doesn't have control over the bees. But like... I mean, flour, honey, egg, a fruit... But that's the thing. Are eggs, like, safe to eat if, like, the chicken is not? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, you gotta be really careful with this. And you, that's why I'm saying, effectively, at this point, they are vegan. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I did. I really did. I thought about it all. I was like, what could you even cook? They took away cheese. He took away cheese? That monster. <laughs> I was mad before. Now I'm real pissed. No one fucks with cheese. All right, the other place where I saw a difference in their approach is when they give that, like, slushy slurping guy on the bench, like, a blood draw, right? Like, it's it's very, very funny. But Dean seems to be, like, totally okay just telling him to, like, hold out his arm, whereas Sam is a bit more weary of it. And I think that it's because in that moment, Dean is just focusing, like, on the ends, like, we need his blood. And Sam is just a bit more concerned about the means to get to that end. The actor they chose for that is so good. There is something about the way he, like, the speed at which he, like, turns his head to look at them as they're talking and, like, seems to nod along. Like, I'm sure he was just, like, I, I don't know. I feel like he may have just been some extra they had to do this. And he just fucking acted it like Oscar-worthy performance. He had lines, so no, he was not an extra. I didn't think about it until you brought it up here. But, like, it gives me a really icky feeling because it kind of... Like, Dean is taking advantage of someone in a state where they can be taken advantage of, which, I mean, like, has a lot of really icky implications. And, like, ultimately, he's not abusing the guy. He's taking advantage of the situation to get what he needs, and the guy is unwillingly going along because he's basically been, like, drugged. And I think Sam is seeing, like, the forest for the trees and going, like, oh, this is bad. Like, we're we're no better than Dick right now by using poisoned people's minds to get what we want out of them. Sure, we're not killing the guy. Sure, we're ultimately going to use this to save the world. But like, this is icky. I'd almost rather go dig up a grave than do this. This is actually really interesting, right? Because at the end, like you said, the guy's not really harmed, right? But it, but he's not really in his right mind to be able to consent to this blood draw. 
it tells you something when the alter uh, the alternative of robbing a morgue is the morally better choice. You're doing something wrong. <laughs> but this is very like Dab and Laughlin, you know, like to break story time for a second. Like uh, we know that Dean doesn't usually do that stuff, right? And this so this feels very like the writers thought that this was funny to me anyway. That's why I'm not dwelling on it too much. I'm like, I just wanted to note it and that's it. Yeah, I think the important takeaways are like, yes, the comedy, but also I think Sam's reaction is something we can take from in a positive light. Just a few seasons ago, Sam was so focused on the ends that he didn't really look at the means. And now he's very, very conscious of them. So thank you for that. Thank you for bringing that up. Now, if we move on to Bobby for a second, because I do have a couple of thoughts about him. Feels like he's the victim of Sam and Dean's treachery. Like he definitely feels tricked. Like no matter what Sam and Dean's intentions were, he, he feels betrayed. And given his aggressive reaction to like finding out that the brothers had left the flask in the motel room safe, I think we can all agree that that's how he felt, regardless of their of their intentions, like I said. Treachery feels like a, a matter of intent versus betrayal or the reaction to someone's actions. The intent was not treacherous, but the betrayal is the same nonetheless. And Bobby is 100% right to feel the way he does because the actions of Sam and Dean very much betray his trust in them and make him feel worse than when he started. And I, I don't want to blame their action directly for what he did, which is possessing that girl and getting away. But they're definitely pushing him down the wrong path versus trying to connect with him and figure things out, which I think is the biggest misstep of the episode. But again, I think with how much was going on, they were understandably distracted and didn't have the time and the mental bandwidth to deal with it. And also, the show only has so many minutes to air. <laughs> but so you think that, like, by doing that, Sam and Dean pushed him to, to do that? Because they weren't going to see Dick. They were going to see the vampire. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't see the two as related. I think that Bobby is on a downward slope, or Ghost Bobby, at the very least, is on a downward slope right now. And I do think that it you could argue that by possessing the poor, innocent housekeeper, Bobby is the one who's actively betraying the brothers. Like, you know, it's like, he definitely doesn't see it that way, but I think they do. Is it their betraying him that sends him over the edge into getting closer to his like evil ghostiness or was this going to happen anyways just from being left alone and even had they had this conversation and dealt with everything would they be in the same scenario i genuinely feel like if his staying behind was at least his choice he would not have gotten to the rage that he got into and then would not have gone over the edge because to me it really feels like that possession is kind of the tipping point of all this like I understand, like, when the door slams or the mirror breaks, that's just, like, I almost compare it to, like, in movies where a character has psychic powers and they get angry and things happen around them kind of out of their control. It's just a physical manifestation of their feelings. But possessing somebody genuinely feels like a choice, unfortunately. So to me, it's very much, yeah, he's pissed. And the more angry he gets, the closer he gets to vengeance. And you thought was just, let's just lock him up in literal ghost jail, essentially, and hope nothing bad happens. No, I know, I know, I know. I hear that. I hear that. Okay. Like, I totally hear that. I just, I don't, I, there's something icky about, quote unquote, putting the blame on Sam and Dean 
for what Bobby does. Because like you said, like you said, like it's, it's very like possessing somebody is not, <laughs> it's not a proportional response to being locked in a, in a motel room, right? Like, I think we're seeing another fun parallel here, if I might compare, and it is the semblance of choice. The the end the end result was Bobby was going to get away and go after his own means and become a vengeful spirit. Like I, I unfortunately think we all knew that was coming now, and it's just a matter of you know had they left him alone and let him stew in his own thoughts, would he get there eventually? Probably. Would it be nearly as quick? That we don't know, but I think the end result would have been the same. So I don't blame Sam and Dean for it, but I definitely think Bobby can see this act of betrayal as pushing him towards a dark path, almost as an excuse. Like he was headed there anyways, but now he has an excuse for why he got there faster. This very much feels like, you know, look at what you made me do, you know, like, no, actually, I did not make you do anything. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that this is kind of one of those things. I would also argue that Bobby is being treacherous to his human self. Uh, or at least betraying his human self, right? Like, because human Bobby would never possess an innocent person to exact revenge. I, I think, like we were saying before, like, the who, who the brothers are being uh, beholden to is the memory of Bobby, and here the betrayal is to the memory of himself. So because I forgot about Crowley, we're going to skip right over Crowley and go directly to Kevin. Uh, we did talk about Crowley a little bit, so that's good, but... To briefly mention Kevin, like at the end of the episode, he agrees to translate the tablet for Dick Roman, but maybe, maybe he wasn't being entirely truthful. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see, I guess. Okay. So even before you've said this, I already had this in mind when I saw this because like, he's a smart kid. Like all we know about him, like he's only really had like a few minutes of like real good screen time besides his introduction. And all we know is the guy's bloody smart. So I think he put two and two together and he has like clearly done the math and gone, okay, Sam and Dean are the good guys. These are the bad guys. I just saw one of them murder some angels. Like he's done the math. And he also is smart enough to go like, if they need me to read this, they're keeping me alive to read this. That means none of them can read this, which means they have to just believe me. They have no reason to doubt what I'm saying. They have no reason to assume I would trick them. So yeah, maybe he did add a little extra or leave something out. I, I'm very convinced he did. I was, or am, it's hard to parse. Things change have changed and sometimes i do not fully know which part is me and which part or new i was or am just me i i i worked i worked at a coffee shop i served people something they enjoyed something they needed craved Yes, some were young, some were old, but they all had the same goal, the same itch. They wanted a coffee, and that I could provide, a dark, rich, luxurious liquid. I'd hand it over willingly, 
I even enjoyed it. As I myself had had a joy in life in discovering new coffee blends and brews. There are some who seem to need the caffeine, like it was the only thing keeping them from an untimely end. I know now how a craving for a substance can actually be the thing keeping you alive. I don't feel any of that anymore. I don't know what it is I feel. I guess I used to be a barista. Now I'm something else. But I'm still seeking something dark, rich, and luxurious to sustain me. I found this episode really challenging to prepare for because it's both like a very plot-heavy episode where there's a lot of stuff that happens and we find out so much. But it's also like an episode where there's very little emotional stakes for the brothers. And like you and I have talked about this before, Drew, where like we know that the last few episodes of the season are always much more packed than those in the mid-season, and that's okay. But I really find that this season, like it's particularly apparent. And I think that it's in part because They had to invest so much time in the second half of the season, clawing back the changes that they had tried to make in the first half of the season. I am personally so much more invested in the alpha vampire, in Ghost Bobby, and Kevin's side of the story, and Crowley, I'll add Crowley in there too, because don't want to forget about Crowley, than I am about the Leviathan at this point. And I'm not sure if this is a me thing or if other people feel this way about this episode, but also like this season. I just feel like the Leviathan had like so much potential in terms of being like a really big, big bad with like their capacity to look human and their plan to eat the humans and like how driven and how organized they are in terms of like making, like executing their plan. But I just find that the execution of that storyline is just kind of lackluster. Like it's not, it doesn't engage me in a way that like other storylines have engaged me before. So at this point, I am just looking forward to closing this chapter. They really could have been an amazing big bad. I liked it in Buffy when they did it too. When you kind of take these villains and give them the like, the the treachery of human potential of getting to run big business or be the mayor of a town or be this big executive. Like it gives them such an interesting angle. They're not just monsters, but we get to see them abuse the monstrosity of humankind to their advantage, which I think opens so many great doors for storytelling and development. Yeah. I look back at the season and how much Leviathan time was just sort of like dropped and I think you're right. Like I, I have no reason to doubt it. It really just was a matter of they had to drop a lot of the Leviathan plot that I'm sure was written and ready to go in favor of basically season six cleanup. This week, we have a bit of a longer message from Jazz. And before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Drew and I are going to be answering the question, what food would you be the saddest to give up for our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Top? 
Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Hi, Drew and Marie. Um, my name's Jazz and I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I have been listening along with my first ever watch of Supernatural, which I started a couple of months ago. Um, I'm currently sort of partway through season five. I've just watched um, Changing Channels and, and listened to your podcast on that. So I think I'm a bit behind you, you guys now. Um, I, uh, I managed to avoid Supernatural almost entirely, or so I thought, um, for the entirety of its run. Um, and I just thought I'd take a little punt on it and see what it was about. Um, and it's got me by the throat, like, did not expect this at all. Um, I love listening to your podcast. It's kind of like having a book group that I can listen to. Um, so I tend to binge a few episodes of Supernatural and then listen along to you guys um, and do things in kind of batches. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, I found a poem which I'd like to read you because um, it's just been on my mind um, ever since and, and thinking about some of the things that you've been talking about um, in the podcast. And, uh, well, it's 2am and I can't sleep and I'm homesick, so here I am rambling to you. Um, I want to read it to you. It is by uh, Don Demansky and it's called Flea. Uh, and here it goes. This ticking child with all its eyes opened, with all its legs held between my fingertips, this blood relative found on my leg, what can I do with you? I don't believe in even small executions, but what's to be done? I can't talk you out of it can't change your mind, you're nature's boy, you know what tastes good, what makes you drunk and happy. I dig my fingernail into its neck, its head drops a thousand miles to the floor. When I first read this, my mind started going crazy and thinking about all the things you've been talking about in the podcast, you know, nature versus nurture, and, and particularly thinking about season four, um, and Sam's demon blood arc, um, and talking, some of the things that Dean says to him, you know, um, I think actually it's Ruby who says, it, was not, it wasn't the demon blood, it was you, right? And Dean says, it's not what you're doing, it's what you are. Um, and I think this poem, if we're applying it to supernatural, when we're talking about family ties and where the line is, right, um, as Dean refers to in When the Levy Breaks, um, when he decides to let this thing with Sam run its course and allow him to die rather than to, to go back to drinking demon blood, um, and how uh, season four ends um, shows what people can do to each other when it is only blood that ties them together, all right? This narrator in the poem looks at the flea like almost dispassionately, almost like it's a god. Like it's, the flea is literally an insect, this blood relative. It's impossible to reason with. It's like a hungry vampire or a werewolf or Sam addicted to demon blood. Except I would argue that we've been shown examples of quote unquote monsters being reasoned with in the show. And it's 
been asking the question constantly um, by showing us the evolution of the boys and the positions of the various other hunters they meet. What makes a monster a monster? Is it only when they can't be reasoned with? Um, I don't think so, right? I'm influenced in my position on this um, on the answer to this question by Buffy the Vampire Slayer and particularly Spike. Um, Spike is undeniably a monster, right? And I would argue it's not because he's a vampire. He's actually too human to be a proper vampire, right? He can't really fit in with his original family, which is Dala, Angel and Drusilla. Spike instead is monstrous in the ways that human men can sometimes be monstrous. I'm thinking specifically of the bathroom scene here, which I won't describe, but I imagine Drew knows what I mean. Um, so my position is that rationality and reasonability is what makes some people truly monstrous, right? When they know what they're doing is wrong, but they think they're justified when they think the end justifies the means. I think it's important to remember that monsters can look like your next door neighbor. They can be kind and wonderful and terrible. So when I was preparing for this voicemail, I had another poem fragment in my head, um, which is something I read years ago, and it's lived in my mind rent-free ever since. And it goes, when is a monster not a monster? Oh, when you love it. Oh, when you used to sing it to sleep. Imagine my surprise when, in trying to find the full quote, I realised that it's from a longer poem by Caitlin Seal about Sam and Dean Winchester. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, it seems like Supernatural was actually waiting for me um, all this time. Uh, this is getting really long, sorry. Um, I refer back to the flea and Dean telling Sam, if I didn't know you, I would want to hunt you. Dean loves Sam. Dean sang Sam to sleep. Sam can never be the flea to Dean. Sam is not an insect. He's not a monster. He is a brackets, huge, close brackets, human. He is so human and he's so lost. And if he is a monster, then we're all monsters. I think what I'm getting at here is that it's it's love that keeps us from that thousand mile drop to the floor. Um, it's love that keeps us monstrous in the right ways um, and sometimes in the wrong ways. Uh, anyway, so thank you for listening to my uh, insomnia rambles. I don't know, like, is that anything? Oh. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, I'm going to go to sleep now um, and probably... <laughs> I don't know, ruminate on sibling trauma and all the other kind of stuff that this show is bringing up for me. Um, but thank you very much. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Love you guys. Bye. Jazz, I'm sorry. The line, is this anything to end that with? This was everything. Thank you. Thank you for this. The first poem, I think it just... It does so much to speak to the way the brothers see monsters in the early part of the show. 
And I think what we've seen throughout the show is an evolution of their understanding. And then the second poem you brought up, which I, I think is amazing that it was actually, I was waiting for the reveal, like, oh, it's the same author, but I think the reveal that it's about Sam and Dean is funnier. But to bring up that and then make that, like, it, it just, it's hitting a point I never really thought about. And I think it's the kind of thing where, like, Mary and I have discussed what makes a monster a monster and what is or isn't a monster countless times on this show. But I think that puts it into such a good perspective, such an easy-to-understand light that, like, equally mystifies me but makes so much sense but makes me, like, actively, like, wretch a little bit with the thoughts of it. And, like, it's all the feelings at once. It's, like... It feels like we have built this like tower, this like really wobbly Jenga tower of like concepts, and you just pulled the one piece and made it crash down and perfectly spell out what the answer was. Oh wow, this this entire voicemail, the poem, the quote, all of it was so beautiful, and thank you so much for sharing it. I am genuinely like enamored with this new view I've been presented with of I don't even want to say new, like credit where credit's due. You've basically taken a bunch of things I've known. You've done the Mary thing. You've taken all these points I've tried to make over these years and made one concise point out of it in such a beautifully unique way. Genuinely, thank you for this amazing voicemail. I audibly gasped at one point when you when you quoted from that second poem and you said, you know, when is a monster not a monster when, when you love him? I particularly feel compelled when you talk about Spike being too human to be a vampire and the fact that he is monstrous, not because he's a vampire, but because of the decisions that he makes. Well, you know, just in this episode, we were talking about a very, like, quote unquote, small thing with the man and the blood draw and this idea that, like, you are justified by, the, by, your, by your ends and not, you know, by the means that you employ to get to these ends. And so this idea of monsters as people who know what they're doing and do it anyway, and know the pain and suffering that they're inflicting and inflict it anyway, uh, I completely agree with that. And I think that, again, like if we draw from a little bit of philosophy as well, like monsters show us things, right? So they show us in this case, like the worst of humanity, the worst things that humans are capable of. Spike definitely does that. And I think Sam also does that uh, in season four. Maybe eventually we'll see how Dean tackles that. But like you said, I think that love plays a really big role in terms of either keeping us monstrous in, in, in the right and the wrong ways. So thank you so, so much for this. Uh, it was definitely something. He is a monster not because he's a vampire, but because he has the free will to make choices. And he always makes the wrong choices. Consistently. <sighs> so does he ever. Such a bozo. I really want to pull an odd example here, and that would be season, I want to say three or four, the Rougarou. This man actively chose to become this monster to save someone. Now that he is this creature with, like, no control over himself, is he more or less of a monster? But he made the sacrifice to save, you know? And then you look at, like, what was I about to make the comparison here, too, is, like, vampires in the supernatural universe that like have free will like they still they need to consume to survive 
but they still go about the, like to choose people or to like actively hunt or like choose their target. Like they are, yes, they need to kill the same way a bear needs to eat. We don't call bears evil for killing cute animals to eat them. But if they were like maliciously choosing them and torturing them and hunting them, we might consider bears a little bit more icky. Dolphins do that. Oh yeah, dolphins are assholes. Dolphins are pure fucking evil. That's not an argument. Fuck dolphins. <laughs> Do you have any call to action and reflection? I'm very drawn to the unsteady alliance being made between uh, the Alpha Vampire and the brothers. Yeah. Uh, Not to say I've ever had as similar a truce to make with someone as evil as a vampire, but it is a reminder that help can come from unlikely places. I am reminded to reach out, to be open to people I would not otherwise be open to, to say yes a little more frequently. And again, This is not advice for everyone, because I know that can come across as dangerous. This is very personal advice. I am very fortunate in that I am a cis white presenting male that presents as straight because of my relationship. That, like, I can be a little safer in these choices, but ultimately I can make these decisions. And while I know that I can get hurt, that I have to be wary, I can also be a little bit braver about who I open myself up to. Just don't get in an unmarked white van. Unless they have puppies and candy and then maybe... Oh, Drew. (laughs) Oh, honey. Do you have any reflections and calls to action this week? Well, I'm going to take us in a completely different direction because I am not a doomsday prepper in any way, shape, or form. The one thing that could potentially qualify me as one is the fact that I've learned to bake and cook pretty much like anything that I like, specifically... So that if I have to one day, I could. (laughs) And I know that like in a doomsday situation, basic food supplies like flour and even water would probably be like super limited. But let me just have this one, okay? Like, because I'm just thinking also like right now with my limited income as a student, like I can't afford certain things pre-made, but I can like use ingredients that I have on hand in order to make them. And so like my call to action is just to continue learning and practicing my baking and my cooking. At this point, I'm making a note for a future uh, Impala talk about our zombie survival plan. (laughs) You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, L, Jeremiah Thomas, and Simone. This week, we'd like to thank Jazz for the message. You can go to carryingwayward.com for the links to our merch store and all of our socials. And if you'd like to support us, you can become a patron or a Coffee subscriber. You can also leave us a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcasts. Carry on our wayward friends! Yep, absolutely. Because like chocolate is definitely one of those like processed foods that is like notoriously difficult to achieve on your own. And you need sugar and cream or butter of some sort or, well, I suppose you could use coconut oil if you wanted to, but like you need some sort of sweetener, right? And that's, that's something that then like would not be that I couldn't purchase in, in, in a situation like 7D and like where you can't eat anything that has added sugar.
And so the only way would be to like make it at home with like coconut oil and like maybe honey. I don't know. 